Welcome to the Loveland Libcast, the official podcast of the Loveland Public Library. Joining me today for this episode of the Loveland Libcast, I have Sharon Danhauer, Jennifer Cousineau, and Jenny Dobson. And we are going to be discussing the Cherry Pie Celebration 2022. Thank you all for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Yes, yeah. thanks for having Excited us. Excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And I'll go around and introduce everyone first for our audience. So we'll start with you, Sharon. You are a board member on Historic Larimer County and Loveland Historical Society. And we were discussing beforehand that you've been on a lot of different ones lately and over time. Yes. But you are a, a local historian, and we're excited to have you here so you can give us some perspective on the uh, cherry orchards and how the this whole cherry craze <laughs> got started here in Loveland. Yeah, I can sure do that. It started with O.D. Shields. The street in Fort Collins is named after his family, Shields Street. Oh, Wow. He lived in Loveland. Uh, his house is still standing on 4th Street. He started the cherry industry and really had to work hard to convince the farmers to become orchard keepers because you have to wait about five years to get a crop uh, out of an orchard of any kind of fruit. And so they were hesitant, but a few people ordered some of his trees. He brought in live little trees. Uh, and he had two huge barns behind his house. He he worked hard to convince them, and eventually it worked. Pretty soon, there were 10,000 acres of just cherry orchards between Loveland and Wellington. That's amazing. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we will get back to more of the historical, the history, I should say, of the cherries. I'm going to jump to Jennifer Cousineau, introduce you real quick. So, you are the Curator of History at the Loveland Museum, and I know that you help with the cherry pie celebration, but you also have a lot of other projects going on. And would you mind telling listeners a little bit about what you do at the museum? Sure. I have been at the museum for 26 years, which seems just crazy to me. It's gone by so fast. So, primarily at the museum, I'm in charge of the historic collection We do also collect a little bit of art, and I'm also in charge of doing exhibits and a little bit of programming. We have a little bit of overlap with with what Jenny does. So our collection consists of about 37,000 objects, and we house those off-site, and that's all sorts of historical things, including cherry cherry objects. We've got things from the industry, like we have cherry pitters. We probably have at least 25 cherry pitters in the collection. Part of those came from a local collector, Grace Goss. She was part of the Rocky Mountain Tool Collectors. And as part of her donation of 800 pairs of scissors, she included (laughs) um, quite a few cherry pitters. Uh, So I think we have one of every kind you can imagine. We also have a ladder that was used in cherry picking in the orchards. Oh, wow. We've got some cherry containers from the manufacturing of the cherries from the Loveland Cherry Company. And they're pretty cool to see right now. We have one on exhibit in the green room, which is our small, smallest art gallery. We have an exhibit where two local artists, Dion, is it Welcher? 
mm-hmm. and Becky Holly mm-hmm. created artwork inspired by the cherry industry, kind of using a cherry pitter and that cherry canister as a jumping off point. So it's just a different way to interpret history through the eyes of an artist. Yeah. So so people could head down right now and see both some artwork inspired by the cherry industry and some of those historical those, objects. Yeah, yeah historical yeah, objects. Absolutely. Can they see all eight thousand scissors? <laughs> eight hundred pairs. Eight hundred. My know, apologies. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> we have had an exhibit on scissors. We have a book that we published to go along with that exhibit that has quite a few pairs of scissors in it as well. And if anybody ever wants to come and take a look at what we have in our collection, uh, we are here as a public resource. You can make an appointment. We can pull some objects for you and let you take a look. We're happy to do that. Awesome. And I will absolutely have the Loveland Museum website in the show notes. And I'm sure people can find that contact information if they did want to reach out about seeing things. Yeah, absolutely. You can call the front desk and we'll get that message forwarded to either myself or Ashley Yeager. She's our collections manager. Uh, Or you can email us and our emails are on the website as well. Awesome. And then finally, we have Jenny Dobson, a returning guest. You are on our wonderful Children's Day podcast where we talked about the celebration we had this year as well as the background of that very cool day. Welcome back to the podcast. And uh, excited to talk about this cherry pie celebration. Celebration. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm the curator of education at the museum. I've been there for 22 years almost this year. And also can't believe I've been there that long, but my primary role is education. So whether that is art education, history education, programming, and then also special events. And so that's why I'm on the Cherry Pie Celebration, kind of the lead for that for about the last 10 years of kind of heading up that event. And then also, you know, involved in other events throughout the city, including Children's Day and some other things too. So just kind of getting ready for another big event this year. Yeah. It's really fun to be, you know, bring Children's Day back after a couple year hiatus and then bringing this event back after a couple year hiatus as well, even though we kind of did a modified version last year, <laughs> but not the full event. So yeah, yeah. No, excited and, to talk about it. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a special position to be in with these things that haven't existed for a couple years mm-hmm. or have, have had to be modified and people's expectations, but... Also, their excitement for some sense of normality or just thing, regional things, local community, city things that they look forward to doing. So Yeah, exactly. And this event's been going on for a very long time in many different ways. I think I talked about that similarly with, with Children's Day that we kind of, that event evolved. But that event evolved over the last 10, 15 years. This event's actually been evolving since the 1930s <laughs> and not necessarily run through the museum, but we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get going, too. All right. Excellent. Thank you for teasing that yes. <laughs> historical perspective. And are there any things going on or that, that have happened recently at the museum? I know we, we mentioned a few things, but is there anything else that has wrapped up or that has been happening over the summer that you just want to share with folks? Let so I'll let know. Jennifer talk a little bit about our art and history exhibits that we have going on because we're always changing those. My biggest thing for the summer is we've got our Beat Education Center, which has just been full swing this summer with art camps and classes. It was just in the paper recently that we are opening a print shop in that space. We are working with a contractor right now to get that print shop all set up and making that a workable print shop that artists can come in, take workshops, maybe rent the space, those different types of things to be able to do some of their own print work. 
Um, we have a large printing press that they'll be able to use. We have a smaller printing press that they'll be able to use. But just trying to get that kind of under our feet is our next big thing in that space. It'll be called the Print Shop at the Beat and our Beat Education Center. Again, as a play on words with another agricultural part of the community, which was the sugar beet. You know, we'll talk about the cherries, but sugar beet was also a large agricultural crop and still is of this region. And so that's kind of our play on words with that yeah. Um, education center being called the Beat Education Center. So that's been our summer, my summer project <laughs> is really um, utilizing that space. And it's been, we're going pretty much six to seven days a week and out of there. So. Yeah. I bet the, the Beat Pie Festival or uh, celebration, that's probably not as. <laughs> yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> something else with sugar on it. <laughs> we could pull some beets and figure out something to make with a beet. <laughs> Project. Oh yeah, you could do um, printmaking with beets. Actually, yeah. I could just cut the beets, and, just like you do with potatoes and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. But I'll let Jennifer talk a little bit more about some of the exhibits that we've got sure. going on too this summer. Yeah. So we actually have one of my favorite artists in the main gallery right now, and her name is Tammy Brazzy, and she uses marmots as a jumping-off point to talk about mental health. So she does these incredible, large, beautiful paintings with hidden marmots. So well, not, they're not so very hidden sometimes, but, <laughs> um, but maybe they are marmots. hidden to the other people in that she yeah. also does with her portraits. It talks a lot about the, the marmot existing as something in your psyche that you don't want to address or your bias or your the thing that holds you back and she she received a grant to explore this and create this exhibit so hopefully you can all come by and take a look at it because the marmots are charming we <laughs> she also creates these little freestanding marmots mm -hmm. and it's it's my dream to own one of those and i think i'm going to make it happen this year <laughs> so they, these really are cool these are literal Marmots. Marmots. Okay, yeah, but there's but there's also marmots. there's a there's a kind of conceptual yes, exactly. aspect to it. And is exactly. a marmot is that related to a prairie dog? They're yeah. larger than I don't know if they're related. Oh, no. They're larger than a prairie dog. I mean, if you go to Rocky Mountain National Park, a lot of her paintings portray rangers in the park and the marmots kind of sort of hiding behind them. Oh, okay. Or, you know, a lot of different um, nature not nature scenes, but just mm -hmm. people out in nature scenes with the mm -hmm. marmots kind of hiding behind them. Is so, it yeah, related think, to a nutria I, then? I, I, it looks like I'm a sorry dog, for asking all of these marmots, the but this I've sounds so fascinating. The marmot is actually in Rocky Mountain National Park or up near Red Feather is the only place I've really seen them. But they look like a prairie dog, but even like, you know, this much bigger. Yeah. yeah. Huh. So, they are, they I mean, are a rodent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I got to go to the museum. I'm guessing the sculptures are, are bigger than a. They are about what two foot. I think they're like full tall. size marmots. Oh wow! Yeah, so okay, like so I could. Tall, but things. they're neon. They're oh, not normal yes. marmot okay. colors. They are neon and like Jackson Pollocky kind of painted marmots. That sounds marmot. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they have little yeah. beads for eyes, little fancy uh -huh. sparkly <laughs> eyes. They yeah. are they are just. Too cool. Yeah, that sounds incredible. <laughs> we have and some how popping out of the wall. <laughs> yeah, how? yeah, they're not all straight up. There's a whole installation against one wall that has like like their little noses coming out of the wall, or their That's little awesome. their little bodies are just starting to emerge. <laughs> yeah. They're how how long will that be available for for folks to see? Oh my goodness, it I'll goes through. <laughs> I, I believe 
September. I'm thinking okay, so we we have we've got because there was an wasn't there an Audubon? Well, that is yes, also and still that there. Is the That's next still, thing, and okay. and I'm I was just thinking about whether or not there were marmots in the Audubon exhibit, <laughs> but I think we didn't get that print. So in the Dunning Gallery, which is actually located in the History Gallery, we have the uh, Audubon his last project. It's quadrupeds. So he went with his sons and went out and took many journeys and drew many sketches and created these beautiful prints that were colorized by a printer of all the quadrupeds in the West. Wow. So we have about, oh, I'd say there's about 40 in the gallery space right now. Really beautiful. And to add to that, we put a giant grizzly bear in the front, which wow. is well worth seeing on its own too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have a, a porcupine and a, a beaver uh, mounts um, that we borrowed from Rocky Mountain National Park and Rocky Mountain YMCA just to add a little 3D to the exhibit. But <laughs> the Audubon prints are really stunning and worth worth. Yeah, seeing. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've I've seen some of those before and they're they're just they're beautiful. They're they're mm-hmm. so fun to see. That's very cool. Kind of some nature themed and mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's awesome. We have so a lot of nature themed right now. That's pretty much our whole summer exhibit yeah. lineup is a nature themed. <laughs> that's perfect because people mm. are already they're thinking about going out hiking, camping, that kind of thing, and sometimes Even with the price, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you can walk to the library and then to the museum and yeah, see and mini trip. <laughs> <laughs> what I really love about the Audubon exhibit, something that he he stated is that. During the time period that he was doing these drawings and this artwork, many of the other naturalists would draw at museums from mounted animals instead of going into the wild. But Audubon didn't want to do that. He wanted to show the animals in their natural environment. So it took a lot more time going out and finding yeah. the animals. And, and you can kind of see the activity. They look a little bit more, oh, I don't know what the word is. Natural, maybe. Natural. <laughs> a little more natural. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in their know, habitat and moving the way that they actually exactly. move and that. Yeah, it's it's different capturing something from life versus, yeah, something mm-hmm. stuffed or mounted or posed by a human. That's, <laughs> that's just different. It looks different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. that's very cool. Well, that's that's awesome that those are those are ongoing and people still have an opportunity mm-hmm. to... to over and see that yeah and, and then, i did just look we have rhonda stone also mm-hmm. in the gallery which is photography hers and tammy's are up until august 28th and then the audubon is up till september 4th so excellent close to the summer and this is all free correct people can no uh, the, audubon, <laughs> no. the audubon exhibit is always free the history galleries are downstairs gallery space which does have a retrospective of rhonda stone's photography that is also free The main gallery is $7 per person. Mm -hmm. However, we do have free days, and you can look on our website to find those free days. Night on the Town being one of those free days, you can always come in. On Night on the Town, we have special events that go on. And then... Yeah, Yeah, Sweetheart City Pass, right? That's... Yes, one that's of our partners. also yes. that, yeah. yep, correct, yeah. which you can check out here at the at the library. That's right, yeah. So And have a free pass. If you check that out, you get a free pass to the museum, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, yep. so it can be free, folks. Can be free. And there is a lot of free stuff there, too, and opportunities to go see that stuff without a charge. Mm-hmm. 
thank you for those wonderful updates. That stuff is very cool. And Sharon, is there anything that you'd like to share about what's going on with Historic Larimer County or Loveland Historical Society or any of the, the things that you're involved with that have happened since the summer began? Sure. Uh, the Loveland Historical Society has two properties, the Mariano Medina Family Cemetery, which is out on Namaqua and First. Uncle Road, and also the Milner Schwartz House, which is the oldest standing brick house in the county, and it's down at the on South Railroad at the south end of the old fairgrounds, and it's open for the public. We were open this last Sunday, some one Wednesday a month, and a couple of Sundays every month. So you can find our open hours and the dates on the website, which is lovelandhistorical.org. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make sure to include that website in the show notes. So if people are interested in checking out that okay. historical property, beautiful buildings, I'm sure, and just learning more about this region. Yeah, that sounds great. And this is, we've had been lucky enough to have some great weather for doing that as well. Mm-hmm. We are here to talk about the Cherry Pie Celebration 2022. Cherry. Yes. And all <laughs> things cherry. Before we get into what this year's celebration is going to look like, I wanted to ask you, Sharon, to start us off. You began telling us about Mr. Shields, but how else did this festival, Loveland's relationship with cherries, and then it becoming a celebration... What are some more details behind that for for how things evolved? Um, like going from his orchard to what um, what was it a thousand? No, ten thousand. Ten thousand acres. Ten thousand acres. acres. That's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> just cherries. Just there cherries. were other fruit before that. Raspberries were big, and strawberries and apples. And apples have always been around here, growing. He started in 1879, and then he picked up a partner, Joe Noble. And they worked hard. They would drive those wagons in those huge, gigantic barns. Two of them right behind his house. That's why 6th Street dead ends over at, I think it's at McKinley. You have Mm -hmm. to turn right because his barn was right there. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so these these were uh, a, a big cherry grove 10,000 acres but but there were there were other things mixed in there as well apple trees and yes. things like that but and, and they were going before shields introduced the cherry and then that uh was that like an organized festival or just just by virtue of how many because i know that at some point loveland had the most was it cherry trees or the largest cherry orchard west of the mississippi yes i think we had both the most trees and the largest orchard west of the Mississippi. He started in 1879, but the first cherry festival wasn't until uh, 1930, and it lasted a month. So that's why it's a festival, because it was more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talked about that. A festival is longer than a day. It's what you call the celebration. I mean, a month. You really earned that title of a festival. That's. <laughs> so I don't think they had any, any sort of festival before that, but it was called the Cherry Blossom Festival. And it was in April and May. And like Jenny pointed out a while ago, that must have been why it was called the Blossom Festival, because the trees were just then in blossom. Right. There weren't any yeah. cherries yet for people to No. And you can't harvest cherries till towards the end of July, mm-hmm. at least in our country. And then, and you said that was, that was 1930? Yes. Okay. So ni- 1930, the Cherry Blossom Festival, but then that eventually became about cherry pies, correct? Yeah. And um, yeah, when when did that 
I'm not positive when the pies came in, but it must have been early on, like in the early 30s. Or maybe it was right away. I don't know. I've got a picture of several ladies, I think in the early 1930s, it looks like from their dress, sitting up in, uh, on the porch at Ammons Hall at CSU and at the Oval. I noticed they've got winter coats on, one of them a fur, and the winter is holding her pie on her lap. And I thought, wow, in July, they must be hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found out that one was in February. Oh. So they had to have been using canned cherries that were canned the summer before. Yeah. Wow. wow. To make the pie contest and everything. So I'm not positive when it started, but... I think it's been always a part of it. And do we do we know how long the Cherry Blossom Festival lasted in terms of starting in 1930 and then continuing? I don't know exactly when it, it, it did have a hiatus there. Several years. I know the museum started it up again in the early 1980s. And I'm sure glad they did. Yeah. And kind of in between there, a lot of the um, research that I have, at least for some of our educational materials, does say that there were a lot of variations of it throughout the years, whether that was baking contests or festivals for the, the blossoms or festivals for just the actual harvest itself in July. Mm-hmm. So, And we we're, we're talking to at some point, so... Loveland had this title, I guess, or <laughs> known known for, for having, yeah, the most west of the Mississippi. But at some point, that, that changed. And we were talking about some of that was geographically, but then also technology, things shift. And then Loveland wasn't, was no longer had the, the most cherry trees and the, the largest orchard. Right. And a lot of the boom, I mean, was the 20s through the 60s. Do you want to talk about that boom a little bit before we talk about how the sure. how it kind of went away? <laughs> the largest cherry orchard, when you, if you can picture this, Lovelanders or Fort Collinders know what I'm talking about. If you drive north or south on Wilson Drive, which is Shields and, no, Daft Hill mm-hmm. in Fort Collins, and you look to the west, when you get near the Loveland city limits, you see this series of hills then there's a valley that drops behind it that you can't see, and there's another series of hills just on the other side of it. So that whole valley was full of cherry orchards. It only started with about 20 acres, and that was our Verreeder. I can't remember middle name, middle initial. I can't remember either. Verreeder, <laughs> yeah. and he's the, one, he's the one who was a banker and built the built Rialto. The Rialto and yep. Oh, wow. Had mm-hmm. his fingers in many pies like all those old guys. <laughs> yeah, literally many. <laughs> yeah. He started with 20 acres and there was, and he was trying to dry crop it. There was no irrigation. He finally, he added a few more and he would, the little slits in those hills, the gullies that come down to the base of those hills, he put cisterns in to collect any rainwater that we got. And he would, bring a wagon over there with barrels and fill up those barrels out of the cistern and haul water to his baby trees. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so was that considered the Spring Glade Orchard, which was the biggest one? Yes, yeah. it was yeah. called Spring, Spring Glade. Glade area. Yep. And it eventually ended up to be over a thousand acres. So this was this was kind of a collection, like collectively there were 10,000 acres. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. There weren't 10,000 yeah. contiguous acres. Yeah. Because, I mean, the, the area that she's describing, and then even if you think down to, like, where King Supers Orchards is, to, or Orchards King Supers is today, which is 23rd and Buchanan, 
that area was also orchards. And there's still, I lived in that neighborhood for a while and there's still cherry trees in people's backyards that were still there and kind of left over and residual. And that's why that area is called Wonder if orchards. any of those produce. Wow. I, some of them do. One of our neighbors used to have it, but I mean, mostly the birds would eat them before yeah. I think they would get to them. So, mm-hmm. and I know a couple other people kind of down in off of 8th Street in Loveland, who also still have some cherry trees in their backyards. And and again, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that those cherries that they grew in this area were the sour cherries, not sweet cherries. So they're not the snacking cherries that everyone's used to buying at the store. You're used to buying those sweet cherries. The ones here were sour cherries, and those are the ones that you use for canning. The more sour, the better for canning. Yep, yep. And that's what was mostly grown here. I'm sorry. No, no, you're good. Some of these canneries also froze them. Mm. Were those canneries? Were those? Were they somewhere else? Did they have to ship these, or were there? They were nope, in Loveland nope. as well. Those there were, were seven different Loveland. canneries here, right? Mm-hmm. At one yeah. time, yeah, and it was a million dollar a year industry to can those cherries. <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah. And we actually had a question on Facebook this week about because one of the things we say in our promotional for the materials for this event it was a million dollar industry. And people want to know if that means a million dollars today or a million dollars in the 20s and 30s. And it was a million dollars in the 20s and 30s. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's not a conversion to right. what it would be today. So who knows what it would be That's a, today. Yeah, I'm sure. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's already astounding. But that, yeah, yeah. with conversion, that's, yeah. that is wild. Yeah. yeah, it was wild. Everybody in Loveland worked in the cherry industry when it was harvest time. You only had about three weeks Three and a half quick harvest the most, right? yeah. to get it canned and or frozen after you picked them. So it was amazing. Yeah. We had migrant uh, workers, mostly from Mexico, that came up. And how they measured how you were paid is they, they built little wooden boxes with a partition in the middle. Not sure what that was for strength, I guess. About six or eight inches tall or maybe taller. It's hard to tell from the photo. And you would bring your own container, baskets over your shoulder, a coffee can. You need something bigger than that. But <laughs> <laughs> anything that you something could bring. To collect. And there was no OSHA. There was no safety <laughs> things. Right. The weeds, the insects, the heat really got to them. But that's how you were paid. You would fill up one of these lugs that called this wooden box. And it was 25 pounds. And that's, the, that's how they knew what you had picked. Wow. And so you got paid for that. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that is, as someone who's newer to Loveland, learning about all this and learning, especially like, oh, that's why it's called Orchards. Yeah. That is so yeah. fascinating yeah, to me. That is, there's a lot yeah. of those kind of hidden little things, and we've got all kinds of fun facts. I know that you said at one point that Loveland High School's colors used to be cherry red and black because of the cherry industry. Wow. And then later changed to a crimson and black. Right. Um, and I was saying that everybody works worked on it, including the high school kids. And there were so many of them that, that worked the harvest, either in the canning factory or the harvest off the trees or both, that all the other football teams called them the cherry, let's see, what's it called? Well, Not cherry pickers. It was something sillier than that. Did they that. call them something else? So, the, no, so this was like a, this was like nickname. a taunt towards <laughs> maybe. The... Oh, well, kind of, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, ten thousand acres—that's going to take a lot of people and a million-dollar industry. I mean, yeah. yeah, you're you better and just just for my own curiosity now. When did <laughs> so? When did was the beat kind of situation? Was this 
the same time, or did it switch? Yeah, the Sugar or? Beets started in 1901. Oh, okay. Uh, so the factory was built then. And so Sugar Beet was also going on at the same time. But the harvest for Sugar Beet is much later. It's uh, more towards October. September, October. Right? Yeah. So there wasn't really an overlap with the cherries. Yeah. Okay. And, and beet harvest goes through about March when still the cherries went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Weren't interfering. Well, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, for that knowledge. That's that stuff is so interesting, <laughs> and it's it's cool to know too. Going in, the cherry pie celebration is kind of a landmark event here. Obviously, it's so intimately tied with the history of this city. So, thank you for sharing all of that. And Ginny, what is the cherry pie <laughs> celebration going to look like this year? I know that there there was a hiatus and yeah. then kind of a hybrid thing, but now this is going to get closer to what folks are used to experiencing. For the most the part, like Sharon said, the museum kind of picked this up as a historical event in the 80s, mid-80s. Again, many renditions since then. We did it for many years, kind of stopped because of staffing and just not having the staff and the bandwidth to be able to do it. And then I think we brought it back, oh, probably since I've been there, so over 20 years ago now. And one thing that we brought back probably 10 years ago was an actual baking contest to go along with the celebration. So we have been doing that one for about 10 years. And then again, you know, 2020 had the event planned, had to cancel with all the closures and mandates and everything. Last year, we were not quite ready in July to bring back a full-fledged event. Some of the later events that summer, Pastels on 5th, is one that we help host out in front of the museum. So we did kind of a mini version last year where we sold some pies at the Pastels on 5th. This year, bringing it back mostly intact and mostly how we've done it in the past. We are not doing the baking contest this year. I'll let Jennifer go into that a little bit more, but that'll be the biggest change this year. There'll be some other little changes. We won't have all of the things that we have available for sale. We will have pie for sale. Perkins is again, helping us out with our pies. So we'll have pies for sale this year. Our ice cream partner is paradise cream, which is kind of a newer vendor in town who we've just started working with. And so they're going to do the vanilla ice cream for us. We will not be doing coffee. We're looking at having a coffee vendor come in, but that has gotten to be making the drinks and those types of things gets to be a little messy. And we're still in times of, you know, being careful with COVID, which is again, why we're not doing the contest this year. So we will have kind of more some prepackaged drinks and those types of things, which people aren't used to at this event, but still just trying to get back into the swing of an actual big event that we don't know how many people will be at because, you know, people are ready to get out again, but yeah, just not quite sure how to gauge it yet. And and I, (laughs) yeah. And I, I apologize. I buried the lead a little bit. This is going to be on Saturday, July 16th from five to eight. Yep. So it sounds like pie will be a la mode, but. BYOC, bring your own coffee if you need to have. <laughs> you really have to have coffee. We're still working on trying to get a coffee vendor out there, so we'll have some coffee because people do like coffee with their pie. Yeah. Um, you don't have to do your pie a la mode. You can do pie by itself. You can get the ice cream. One thing that will be a little bit different this year is, you know, everybody knows that prices are going up, unfortunately, on things. So that includes our prices a little bit. Our final prices will be on our website and kind of published out there that day. I think we're looking at probably $5 per slice of pie, which is up a little bit. Ice cream is a little bit more expensive now to make. So we'll probably be at like $2 for a scoop of ice cream and then drinks still around a dollar and those types of things too. We will take cash, credit card. We will take check, although we prefer, you know, either cash or credit card. Cash is probably a lot easier for us to process people through the line quicker, but uh, we will do have a credit card station as well. 
live music. So this year we have Black Powder Machine, which uh, Josh Grenz is a uh, local, and he's got a bunch of local musicians on that band. And then Joe O'Brien is part of the Clint Climber and the Gypsy Outlaw, or the Outlaw Gypsies. Sorry, I should say that correctly. <laughs> so those guys will be out there playing music that night. We've got some vendor booths, you know, kids activities. Historical Society will be out there talking about some of the history. Again, if people want history of the cherry pie, and they'll have, I think, some of the those cherry stoners out there for people to look at and oh, cherry yeah. pitters. We'll bring those out. And I think, Sharon, you demonstrate, or do you just show them? We show them. things to uh, show them. It, there are a few of them we let some people pick up, but I wish we had them under glass or something. <laughs> <laughs> Be very See, careful. These are them. the originals, correct? Like they're. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, they're the historic that's, ones. That's awesome. part of Grace Goss's collection. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So music, pie, music, a pie, ice cream. Ice cream. Vendors, correct. Yeah, and yeah. and I will. I the library will have a presence there. I yes. will be there. Yeah, um, we'll have several booths there. You know, library, a couple of our sponsors. Yeah, just it's, it's plan for Colorado weather. So plan for afternoon thunderstorms and ninety degree <laughs> weather, and you'll be fine. <laughs> and, it, and it kicks kicks off at five on Saturday, July sixteenth, and then yes. eight is when things kind of start wrapping up. Correct. Okay. Yep. Oh, Daniel, I'm excited about what I heard you are going to do at your booth. You should probably let everyone know. Sure, yeah, yeah. Thank, thanks for <laughs> thanks for reminding me to talk about this. So if you're a loyal listener or a new listener or a disloyal listener, <laughs> I'm gonna, what I'm going to try this year is the library will be there. We'll be talking about all the, the great things that we do here, opportunities, events, programs, resources people have access to. And then I'm also going to try and record folks for a a podcast episode and just interview them real quickly just kind of you know where they're coming from if they're local if they came to the the cherry pie fest uh, cherry pie celebration (laughs) from somewhere else what they're enjoying about it and just kind of get hopefully get a little flavor of of who who's coming to this event how they're enjoying it get a little feedback on those things and then try to knit that together into kind of like an NPR style, you know, live from the cherry pie celebration, <laughs> except not live. Cause <laughs> I'm going to edit this. A little bit later. <laughs> yeah. But, but if you see me come by, please chat with me. I'm just going to try it out, see how it goes. And, and this hopefully could become a cool record of, of an event and just thinking, you know, the, the first one, the first celebration happening, if we had a recording of what it was like, what people enjoyed, that would just be something that's pretty cool. So that's, that's what we're going to try and do. I'm going to attempt. And if you see me there, yeah, you're more than welcome to come chat and maybe you'll be on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fun. Or is there any, anything else that we, uh, yeah, I want to, just talk a little bit about the contest and it's one of my favorite parts and it's something that I'm usually I usually take care of for the event and this year we're not bringing back the cherry pie contest uh, we're waiting another year let covid go past us a little bit further make every make sure everybody's comfortable cuz that requires judges. So we want to make sure the judges feel okay eating pies that have come out of a personal kitchen, which I'm sure some people are, some people aren't. We're just in a strange place still. So next year, hopefully we'll do the cherry pie competition. And that's been going on in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. In the collection, I've got recipe cards. So I know that the recipes used to be submitted. We haven't done that in past years, but maybe that's something we want to do in the future, kind of change up the contest a little bit. There has been, I think, 
for one contest I read that they won a donated stove from a local oh, really? vendor. Wow. Yeah, and I thought that's, that's an not an art era. Prize. Yeah, so we don't do that at the moment. Uh, we do have prizes for the best cherry cherry pie winner for second, third in adult and also and kids. in kids. So we, we right. accept children's pies as well, which is always so much fun. Sometimes, honestly, the kids taste better than the adults. It's really it's remarkable. <laughs> it's remarkable. And we have had cherry pies that have run the gambit. I think one of the, the more interesting ones used some kind of a hot, either jalapeno or habanero mm-hmm. pepper. Whoa. Some kind of hot so pepper. That yeah. was a, a curious one. Um, hot peppers. We've, we've had, had chocolate. We've, we've had, had chocolate. Yeah, that was pretty tasty. Um, Wasn't there wine in one or something? I think so. Like maybe, maybe a burgundy wine. Yeah. Oh. I mean, we've got some interesting yeah, uh, recipes cordial. out there. Yeah. And we've had uh, cherries that were grown on cherry trees in people's yards. So it might be some of those historical trees. I, I just love how people have so many different recipes and it's it's such a pleasure to see them. So if you're interested in judging a pie, I am the person to contact if, if you have interest in that. Or if you just have questions about next year or ideas about next year's <laughs> happy to talk talk with you about it and hear what you got to say all right well yeah thank you for that and especially yeah going forward that sounds super exciting and it's cool to know that as it's coming back there's plans for how it will continue going forward and bring back some of those things that people are are used to seeing and excited about and that's also very cool to hear that kids can (laughs) enter as well or or have in the past they get (laughs) <laughs> extremely creative on their pies too and i think even the kids get more creative especially with their crust and how it looks and decorations oh, yes. on top oh, yeah and hearts on top yeah yeah it's <laughs> amazing lots of sprinkles too. lots of sprinkles <laughs> yeah sprinkles i also want to know if there are things coming up at the museum or that jennifer that you or jenny are involved with that are going to be happening after the cherry pie celebration always always, always. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do one thing really quick though okay. just kind of going back to pies just a little bit sure um so if parents anyone is looking to kind of educate their kids on the cherry industry during covid i did work on some lessons that are on our website and if you look under visit us and then i think virtual lessons there is one just on the cherry industry oh very so cool. if they you know they want to teach their kids what it's about before they come down to the event after the event all those types of things and i brought you guys booklets today to look at i do have booklets if we do kind of in-house programs at the museum but that booklet is in a pdf version on our website so they can kind of get that there. And then we always like to give a, a shout out to the Colorado Terry Company as well, because um, I believe they're still operational stand in the canyon and they've helped like us with are. events in the past. They're not involved this year, but they, they've been involved in many events before. And it's just kind of another reminder of the industry in the area, too. But then I will hand it to Jennifer. And what else have we got going on this what summer? What else have we got going on? Well, right now I'm working on adding a couple programming options to the Audubon exhibit. So we're going to do a Pollinator Pals lecture that it's family friendly and we're still working on that date so look on our website for that that'll probably include some local honey in that event and then also we're going to do another program with the audubon so uh, to complement that exhibit uh, the the local audubon society here in town and we have our next exhibit in the main gallery and in the dunning gallery it's going to kind of take over the whole 
museum, the foot gallery as well. Uh, So James Disney was a local artist. He was a county commissioner. He did a lot in the community. He was a mountain climber and started, I think, the local local mountain climbing mountain club, club as yeah. well, maybe the northern Climbed Colorado. Long's Peak and lots of peaks many of oh, times. Wow. Yeah, Long's Peak yeah. like 94 times. He, wow. He was he did, Didn't he know Harold Dunning, who's the museum was founder? very yeah. close to Harold, Harold yeah. Dunning and was very inspired by Harold Dunning. Yeah. So uh, Jim Disney... Some people don't know that we have murals done by James Disney throughout the Well, our Harold Dunning portrait section. was painted by Jim Disney, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And he also climbed Denali, and we have his boots in our collection that he Whoa. climbed that mountain in. Unfortunately, he passed away this past year. Yeah. Um, so... We all felt that loss, and what we would and what we had had planned was to do an exhibit with him while he was still alive. And we are going to continue with those plans, working with his family. And so, in the main gallery, there was a there's a photographer that he worked closely with and has very similar ideology. So we'll be splitting that gallery with an exhibit of Jim's work with Eric's work. The front of the gallery space will be a retrospective of Jim Disney's work. And then in the Dunning Gallery, we're going to look at him as an artist, a living artist, a living mountain climber, a naturalist. So we'll do a little bit more about his life. So we will be opening that in September. Oh, excellent. That'll be the next one. Yeah, that'll that's... That'll be pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I think it a sure lot does. of people will be... It'll be a good place to to remember Jim and uh, his com- contributions to the community. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know about him, a great place to learn to about learn. the yeah. wonderful Yeah, yeah what a wonderful opportunity to learn about. Yeah, learn about beautiful him. artwork. He's got amazing artwork, too. Yeah, he yeah, was an artist-in-residence sure at Rocky Mountain, at Rocky Mountain National, National Park. Park. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, people can just, they can continue to look at the museum website, mm-hmm. um, and I'll have that link there. Thelovelandmuseum.org. Thelovelandmuseum.org, yep. and they'll be able to find out when that's coming in the fall. Yeah, um, and all mm-hmm. things. I mean, events, programs, exhibits, the virtual lessons that I talked about. Classes. Yeah. yeah, Jenny's classes are wonderful. Lots of classes. Adults, and, <laughs> adults and kiddos. My my daughter has approved every single one she's taken. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then Sharon, is there anything that you'd like to let listeners know about that's coming up? through the Historic Larimer County or Loveland Historical Society. Anything you'd like to share? Sure. Loveland Historical Society has a program every month. It's free. We take donations. We always appreciate those, of course, because they support our speaker program. And it's the museum graciously lets us use the room downstairs, and that is on the second Thursday evening. And the programs always start at 6.30. So you can look on our website, lovelandhistorical.org, for schedule uh, on the calendar. Look on the calendar. And then Historic Larimer County is a group that's that helps any historian, any historic group also in the county that's trying to especially save something because Historic Larimer County's primary focus is preservation, not just of buildings and objects, but sites. And they have a program uh, that they do field trips out to see something every month in the summer. In the winter, we do lectures, classes, or speaking engagements, usually with something about preservation. And I will, I will definitely have the links to both of those websites so people can learn more if they want to get involved or see what kind of events are coming up. Okay, super. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And, and I wanted to tell you, I have given my, I have several 
about a dozen historic slideshows that I've worked up, PowerPoints, and I've uh, given them several times at the museum for the by celebration. So I give those slideshows to different assisted livings or or organizations, the Rotary school ones, groups, school groups, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that as well. And before we say goodbye, I wanted to go around and if <laughs> you all have a an author, a book, a movie, a TV series, anything that you've enjoyed or recommend, I can always link that back to the library's catalog. And if you want to let us know about it, and Sharon, we'll start with you. Oh, I always have a favorite one, and it starts with Little Britches. It's written by Ralph Moody, who has been gone now several years, I can't remember. And he wrote a whole series of books. He was about eight years old when his family came from New England to Homestead in Denver, and this is a true story, on a hard scrabble, 80 acres of nothing outside of Denver, and the lessons he learned from his wonderful father and his mother and uh, his siblings, it's just so fun to read about. He wrote it as an adult, but he always he remembered it as an eight-year-old or later on a ten-year-old. There's a whole series of books as he goes through life. Um, he was even uh, herding cattle at 13. Milk cattle. Milk cows. <laughs> this guy would who owned the cows, would rent them out, and when they became dry, he would give her another one and put this dry cow back into the herd until she was producing milk again. So they would herd them between Denver and Colorado Springs, mostly, sometimes further to Pueblo, sometimes up to Fort Collins. And it's just a very interesting series of books. So the first one is Little Britches, and if you want to look it up, on, and I'm sure you can see the other ones, there are five in the series. All Ralph right. Moody. Yeah, thank you for that. And Jennifer, how about you? Sure. So I get caught up in lists. So I am uh, right now Pulitzer Prize winning novel fiction list. So <laughs> the book that stands out to me has a little bit of a museum connection. I really like The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt. It, it starts out with a terrible event at a museum and an object, a painting, and how this painting and this event has influenced this boy who then goes on to be a man. It, it, it influences his entire life. And I just think it's, it's so true, you know, these traumatic events or something maybe not traumatic, something in a museum can also affect you throughout your life, seeing something in particular, you know, you, you bring your kids to see it or you, it could be, you know, definitely not as dramatic as what happens in this book, but it's something that affects your life if you are, if you are touched by something that you see or feel at a museum. It can go on and carry it through your life. Yeah. All right. The Goldfinch. The Goldfinch. Okay. And Jenny, how about you? I'm going to go a lot less scholarly than these two. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot lighter. Um, Probably what we need right now. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Just because I've been doing a lot of walking. and, And during COVID, I did a lot of walking. And I got into the podcast Smartless. I don't know if you've heard that one. But it's um, Jason Bateman and Will Arnett and Sean Hayes. So, you know, three actors. 
And it just cracks me up every single time because you just kind of see a lighter side of Hollywood, I think, in the people that they interview and then with the three of them. Mm. And I've always been a big fan of Jason Bateman and Sean Hayes. And now I've learned to like Will Arnett a little bit more. <laughs> he's already, he's funny. But just, I mean, there was a recent one with Bradley Cooper. And you just see, see a whole different side to some of these people that you wouldn't see yeah. in just normal mainstream media because they're talking to their buddies and that type of stuff. And it's just kind of a fun when I take my walk. So just if you are looking for something lighter and you're into podcasts and yeah just that's not just heavy news and heavy anything else sure. kind of podcast things yeah so. <laughs> there, there's, there's always time for that as far as i'm concerned <laughs> well thank you all again for being on the loveland libcast i i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and to share information about what's going on in our community and especially focused on the cherry pie celebration so thank you for being here absolutely thank yeah. you daniel thank, thank you for you. having us yes you're welcome you us. it and was fun <laughs> Glad to hear it. And I hope it was fun for all of you at home listening to this right now. And I will talk to you later on another episode of the Loveland Libcast. Bye. And you all can say bye too. The book bye. Is bye. bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Loveland Libcast. If you'd like to contact us about the podcast, please reach out to Daniel at daniel.tate at cityofloveland.org. That's D-A-N-I-E-L dot T-A-T-E at cityofloveland.org. See you next time.